0: Well, we've already spent just a few minutes in 1 Corinthians 13. I hope you didn't close your Bible because I want you to go right back there with me. This whole day in our time together that we have online is gonna have one focus to it from our giving to this message, and that's the love of God. And I wanna spend just a few more minutes this morning in 1 Corinthians 13, talking more about the love of God. We've already read the first three verses. I want you to look at it with me and just pick up in verse four. It says in 1 Corinthians thirteen four. <clears throat> that love suffers long and is kind. Now, other translations say love is patient, and that's what it means to suffer for a long time, not suffering in the sense that uh, people typically think of it, But it, and you'll see this later on in this chapter, but it basically just means not quitting. You stick with it, and that's what patience is. The word patience throughout the Scripture is also translated Endurance endurance. And if you've got great endurance, say you're an endurance runner, then you can run for a long time without quitting. You can run without getting tired. You can run without fainting. And that's what it's talking about when it says the love of God is patient. It means the love of God has great endurance. And then it says the love of God is kind. Now this whole chapter is about the love of God, but it's always stood out to me that If you keep reading from verse four, you're gonna find out a lot about what love is not, what love doesn't do. But when it came to describing and defining what the great love that is God and the love that God has and he shows, to describe and to define that love, the Bible used two words, to describe the greatest force in all the universe, to describe the force that created heavens and the earth, The love of God. And he said he summed it up in these two words. This is what love is. It's patient and it's kind. Patience and kindness are the only two words evidently that you really need to describe and define this God who is love. That's pretty powerful when you think about it. Now he goes on after that, after he says love is patient and love is kind. Listen to what he says. Love does not envy. See, now we're getting into what love is not. We talked about what it is. It's patient, it's kind, it endures. But here's what it's not. Now, if you stop and think about it, you can actually find out a lot about something or even a lot about someone by looking at and studying what it's not, what they're not. You can actually define a thing, not just by what's present in it, but also by what's not in it. And he said here, love is not, or this is what love doesn't do. This is what love doesn't have, envy. Love does not parade itself. Love is not puffed up. Verse five, love does not behave rudely. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It thinks no evil. So when the spirit of God through Paul was endeavoring to communicate to us, here's what love is. He used two words to say what it is, but then he used a lot more to say what it's not. And he went through this whole list of things that love does not do. The things that love is not. He said in verse seven, love bears all things. Love believes all things. It hopes all things. And here's this word again, it endures all things. I think it would be good and would help you understand it if you were just to add this word through after each one of these. In other words, you could read it like this. Love bears through all things it's basically just describing this this nature that love has that it does not quit. It bears all the way through. It bears up under anything. It bears through all things. It's not quitting. And you see that again here. Love believes through all things. Love believes all the way through to the end. So to love somebody is to believe in them and not stop believing them believing in them all the way through. That's what love does. It says, I'm with you. I believe in you. And I'm not quitting on you halfway through. Even when it gets hard or it gets challenging, I'm not quitting. It bears through all things. It believes through all things. I like this one. It hopes through all things. Love never loses hope. And when you talk about hope, Bible hope, What you're actually talking about is this earnest expectation of good that is to come. We use hope more in in the sense of wishing for something or desiring something, but that's not what Bible hope is. Bible hope is this red hot earnest expectation that good is in my future and good is on its way to me and I'm on my way to it. That's what hope is. And the love of God hopes all the way through. No matter what you're facing, what you're feeling, what's going on in the world around you, what you're experiencing, you continue to expect. And it's that space, isn't it? It's that space between what you are experiencing and what you are expecting, where Satan, your enemy, really goes to work to try to get you to quit try to pressure you and wear you down and wear you out, try to get you to throw in the towel, right? And say, I'm done. It's lasting too long. I'm tired of this fight. It's that space between whatever you're experiencing, whatever's in the natural realm and what you see and feel, whatever you're experiencing between whatever you are expecting. And it's that space in between where pressure is applied to get you to quit. But love doesn't quit. Love hopes all the way through it. This is how powerful love is. Love will continue to expect all the way through. He said, love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes through all things. And again, here you see it. Love endures through all things. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. And then you see that summed up in the very next statement. Love never fails. Now sometimes I think about I think that we consider that word fail to we kind of have a limited understanding of it. Love never fails. Or in other words, love always wins. And that's certainly true. But think about that word failing in light of what we just talked about. Failing could be quitting. Think about a a bridge that's been built and it's been built to sustain heavy vehicles driving back and forth over long periods of time. But what happens if it's not built and engineered right? Then if you put too much weight on it, then it will fail. It will give out. But he's saying the love of God never fails. It never quits. That's how powerful this love is. But I want you to skip down now to verse 11. And notice what he said in the context of talking about the love of God. He said in verse 11, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought, how? As a child. You know, when you're a child, that's okay. It's okay to think like a child. When you're a child, it's okay to, what else did he say? Understand as a child. But it's only okay to understand as a child when you are a child. It's okay to speak as a child when you're young, when you're little. I was laughing about this earlier, thinking about our little ones. You know, Justice, he's 10 years old now, Jesse, she's seven. And I have these audio recordings on my phone that we go back to as a family every now and then. I I would put the kids in bed at night and sometimes I'd pull out the phone and just do a little audio recording conversation between us. And uh, I just knew I'd want to have these. And it's so funny to go back and listen to them. And they seem so big now, especially when you compare them to what they sounded like just a few years ago. Oh, it's so cute. It's so sweet, and I love that there were things that our kids said, and yours did too, those things they said wrong that you didn't want to correct because it was so cute. I mean, I just love the way little Jessie said hangaber instead of hamburger. And she said it for so long, and I just thought to myself, I hope you say hangaber forever. It's just so cute. And Justice was the same way. He had little things that he would say and they, they wouldn't say it just right, but it was so sweet. You didn't want it to change. But you know, they grow. And as they grow, they begin to talk and their speech sounds more like ours as grown-ups. and they grow out of some of that stuff. And probably it's a good thing. As much as I wanted them to sound like that forever, it's probably better that Jesse doesn't grow up to be 18, 20 years old and still saying "hangaber" all the time, right? It's probably better that Justice doesn't go off to college saying all the, th- the same things that he did when he was four and five years old. What I'm saying is when you're a child, you say things a certain way and it's okay because you're a child. When you're a child, you understand in a certain way and it's a childish way, but it's okay because you're a child. He said, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child, but notice this. He said, but when I became a man or when I grew up, what did he do? He put away childish things. What childish things? Childish ways of speaking, childish ways of understanding, childish ways of thinking. He said, when I became a man, I put away these childish things. And it's always stood out to me that he used those words. I put them away. You know, I guess he could have said, when I became a man, I grew out of childish things, but that's not what he said. And that communicates something else, doesn't it? There are things that as we grow naturally and physically that we grow out of. You know, my mom has a box somewhere at her house to this day of clothes that I wore when I was six years old and seven years old. And you know what? I grew out of those things. Aren't you thankful that I'm not standing in front of you today wearing the T-shirt that I wore as a five-year-old? Why? Doesn't fit, right? Wouldn't look good. What do we do with those things? We take them off. We put them away, right? When you grow out of it, it's not useful to you anymore. But what I believe what the Spirit of God is saying through Paul, that there are things that as you grow, if you don't, put them away, they will stay in your life and you will be a grown adult still talking like a child, thinking like a child, understanding like a child. Those things have to be put away. And you got to put them away by faith. And I'm sad to say it, but there are many people and even many church going people who are well into their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s and beyond still with some childish ways of speaking and understanding and thinking, and I'm telling you, it's time to put some things away. If you don't put them away, they hang around too long. Now, isn't it interesting to you that this, this, that he's talking about here about maturing and growing up is in this love chapter, this great love chapter That says to me that what he was talking about here when he said that, if you back up to verse four, that love is patient and love is kind. You know what that says to me? That when patience and kindness are at work in your life, that's a sign of maturity. That's a sign of growth and development. Spiritually mature people are people Who have the love of God at work in their life. And how do you know the love of God is at work in their life? They're patient people. They're kind people. Patient and kind people are seriously spiritual people. But then on the other hand, when he goes on and talks about what love is not and what love doesn't do, he said love does not envy. Well, why doesn't love envy? Well, that wouldn't be kind, would it? And if you look at this in the Amplified Bible, it helps make even a little more sense of what he's saying. Back in verse four, he said, love endures long and is patient and is kind. Love uh, never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. Those are childish things. Those things are on full display in the lives of children, aren't they? It it talks about envy here and sometimes we equate it to jealousy and they do have some common threads between them and there is some similar meanings. But when you get down to it, there are some technicalities that make them a little bit different. Jealousy, we'll start with envy. We know this, envy is just wanting what somebody else has. And how many times have you seen that on full display among two and three-year-olds? And you didn't even have to teach them that, did you? They just got that on their own. They're sitting in a room uh, with other little ones and, and here's a little one who's got something in his hand and he's playing with it and he seems happy until he notices that this other little guy over here has got something in his hand. And he realizes, I want that in my hand. Well, what's happening without him even realizing it is envy is rising up. Nobody had to teach him that. You did not teach your kid to say, mine. They just learned it on their own, right? It's like, where'd you get that? I'll tell you where they got it. It's the nature of the flesh. Mine, mine, mine. Now, even though they had something, they saw somebody else with something. And just because they didn't have the thing that other person had, here comes that nature of the flesh, right? Mine, I want that. I want that. And so little ones, it's like, no, okay, hold on. We're learning. It's okay. This is how we share. This is how you let this one play with this. And then we'll take turns. But I'm gonna tell you something. When they're two and three years old, that mind mentality, you know, it's okay. They're a child. They think like a child. But the mind mentality in me and in you, it's not okay. I'm telling you, it's not okay. It's not love. How do I know it's not love? Because that's not kindness. Kindness does not envy. Envy is wanting what somebody else has. And more specifically, it's wanting what they have because you're not content with what you have. You're not thankful and grateful with what you have. And even, how many times have we seen this? Even if you've got more than what this guy's got over here, it's just that he's got it and you don't. And that's that nature of the flesh. And I'm going to tell you, there's no love in it. And it is a childish way of thinking. It may be cute and funny when you're looking at a two-year-old do it, but you know what's not cute? You thinking that way. You know what's not funny to God? Me thinking that way. There's no love in that. Love does not envy. Listen to this. Love does not parade itself. Love does not put itself on parade. And you're talking about children. This is a big thing with kids. Kids are always like, mommy, mommy, look. Daddy, look. Daddy, look. Mommy, look what I can do. Look what I can do. Daddy, watch what I can do. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. Watch me. And it's a childish way of talking. It's a childish way of thinking. And you've seen it and I've seen it. And it's kind of cute when they're kids, right? Look at me, daddy. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. Look what I can do. And then you look at them and what is it they do? Oh, okay, baby. Good job. Way to go. You did a great job. Or they, they, they made a picture and they colored and they said, look what I can do. And man, it's just scribble and it's colors outside the lines and it's all over the place. And what do you say? Oh, that's, that's really good, sweetheart. Way to go. But love in a person who is mature does not parade itself. What is a parade? It's when they come through a town and they shut down all the normal flow of traffic and city operations, and we, we line people on this side of the street, and we line people on this side of the street, and everything stops to look at what's coming down Main Street, right? All attention here. All attention on what's coming down the road. But love doesn't do that. Love does not demand the attention. Love does not require everything else in everybody's life to stop and look at me. Watch me, watch me, watch what I can do. Look what I can do. Watch me do this, watch me do that. And do you know what I'm describing to you? Most and much of social media. (laughs) Look at me, look at me, look at me. Look what I'm wearing. Look where I've been. Look what I'm doing. Look what I have. Look at me. Listen to what I think. Listen to what I think. Listen to what I think. Yeah, it's cute when they're four. It ain't so cute when they're 44. It ain't so cute. I'm gonna tell you who's not laughing at it. Your heavenly father's not laughing at this constant need of attention. Everybody stop. Watch what I can do. I was walking down the street with a a man one time. uh, We were attending a conference and we'd been on break and everybody gone to lunch and we were heading back to the conference center and he and I were talking and his family was there. He had three or four kids and one of the daughters was like, daddy, watch, daddy, look, daddy, look at me. And for a long time, he tried to stay connected to our conversation, but finally was like, yes, what is it, baby? Go. And he turned and looked at her and she's like, I can do a cartwheel. It was more like this flailing of her legs in the air and flopping on the ground. And it was not, you know, USA Olympic quality, but you would have thought she thought it was. Look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's okay when you're a child, but when you become a man, when you become a woman mature in God, it's not okay to demand and require the attention of everybody else anymore. No, the love of God seeks not what it can get others to do for them, but what it can do to be a blessing to other people. The love of God isn't demanding of attention. The love of God will turn the attention onto the need of somebody else. What can I do? Not to impress you, to bless you. Are you listening? The love of God is seeking never to impress, but only to bless Love does not parade itself. Listen, love is not puffed up. Love does not behave rudely. I like the Amplified Bible. It says, it's not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. It's not rude or unmannerly. You know, children are not really known for their manners are they? When they're young and they're little like that, they are not known for their great etiquette <laughs> sitting at the dinner table. They're not known for always saying everything the nicest way, the most polite way. And it's fine. They're kids. You work with them, right? And they say, uh, I want that. And you say, well, what do you say? Huh? What do you say? Please. Okay, you give it to them. Now, what do you say? Thank you. And it's this day in and day out of working with them just on being mannerly people, showing good manners and respect. And it's okay when they're children. But what's not okay is grown-ups who ought to know better, and yet they express no gratitude, no please, no thank you, no appreciation. I know this sounds like a little thing, but love is not unmannerly. Love demonstrates gratitude. Love shows appreciation. I tell you, you could say it like this. Love is pleasant to be around. Love is very pleasant to be around. And it's a sign of maturity. Love does not behave rudely, does not seek its own. Does not seek its own. Wow. If there's anything that describes a child, I think that would be it right there children from the time they're little. I'm thinking about Jordan and Courtney, our, our, uh, Sarah's brother and our sister-in-law, and they, they have a little one, Titus. He's, he's a young guy, two years old. They just had a brand new baby, just a couple of weeks old now. And you know, babies, when they get hungry, they cry. Um, little ones, when they're hungry, they don't mind telling you about it. And I don't remember one time that either one of our children, when they were little, crying in the night, never did they come in and gently wake us up and say, Mom, Dad, I'm so sorry. I know you were sleeping so soundly, so sweetly. Uh, and I hate to interrupt that, but I, I need to be fed. But if now's not a good time, that's, that's fine. I, I, I wouldn't mind going back. You just tell me. No child has ever done that. The only thing little children know is I'm hungry and you need to feed me. And all they know to do is seek their own and that's okay. It's precious when they're little and you don't mind it. Maybe it's inconvenient, but you love them, right? But what's not okay is to let that same mentality go all the way through their teenage years. And if you never teach a teenager how to stop seeking their own, they'll become a 20-something seeking their own. They'll become a, 30 per, a 30-something seeking only their own. Now, raising people and raising a family in the household of faith is about raising a family in an environment and an atmosphere of love. And we gotta start when our children are young to teach them not just to seek their own, but to seek the, the benefit and the blessings of others. It's what we work with our two on. Be a blessing to your sister. Be a blessing to your brother. How can you get to him, not get something to him, not just take something from him? And that's what we've got to be raising our kids in the atmosphere of. But the best way to do that is to be a demonstration of it. Love does not seek its own. Love's got other people on the mind. Love's got other people in the heart. This is how love operates. And this is what it means to be grown and matured. Love does not, or it's not uh, provoked. Oh, that's a big one. Love is not provoked. In other words, it's not easy to start a fight with love. Too many people live right there on that ragged edge of at any time could go off, could, could be set off and made angry and you just never know when you're about to be in a fight. But love is not easily provoked. Somebody who's got the love of God working in them, that goes back to being patient. Why is the love of God not easily provoked? Because to be easily provoked would be a total lack of patience and endurance. Love's not easily provoked. Love is not so touchy that somebody just looks at you the wrong way or says something in the wrong tone that, oh, that's it. I've had it. It starts this big fight. You know, we're going to have to stop being the uh, speech police and the tone police in our house. I don't like the way you said that. You said it like this. Well, I didn't say it like that. I said it like this. That's not love. Come on. Come on. Give each other the benefit of the doubt. Extend to each other a little bit of grace, a little bit of mercy. Love's not easily provoked. How easily provoked are you, huh? Is it easy to get under your skin? Is it easy to get you irritated? You know, we talk about people, well, that really push my button. Sometimes I think people are just one big button and it's just so easy to push it. And all you got to do is it's, it's just easy to find. You just push that little button and oh, that's it. They're set off. There they go. You know, your buttons, so to speak, should be hard to find. I hope you understand what I mean by that. Not easily provoked. That's not love. Love's not easily provoked and it thinks no evil. It does not rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Love bears through all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never quits. Husbands and wives, right now, if you're watching this together, I think it'd be good for us just to say to one another, I won't quit on you. I love you and I'm not quitting. I love you and I'll believe all the way through and I'll never stop believing in you. I'll never quit expecting with you. Let's not be quick to quit on each other. Go to the book of Ephesians chapter four. In this fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians, Paul is talking about the ministry gifts that God has given to the body of Christ and what these ministry gifts are for talking about prophets and apostles, pastors, evangelists, teachers. So I think I got that order wrong, but you know what I'm talking about. He says these gifts, verse 12, are for the equipping of the saints. Well, equip them to do what? The work of the ministry. So this office that Sarah and I stand in as pastors of Legacy Church, our job is to equip you To do the work that God's called you to do, the work of your ministry, for the edifying of the body. This word edifying literally means to to build up the growth of the body. So he's talking about the body, the body of Christ that we are a part of. You're a part of the body, I have a place in the body. And our assignment as ministry gifts is to equip you, the saints, for the work of your ministry. And for the building up of this body, the body of Christ. And verse 13 says, till, or in other words, this is what we're aiming for. Here's the end result and goal. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. Listen now, to a perfect man. Now that word perfect really tends to throw people. It doesn't necessarily just mean flawless, but it does mean Growing and maturing. That's literally what this word perfect means. Fully developed. And again, he's talking about the body. So our aim and our goal as ministers is yes, to equip you for the work of your ministry and this ministry. Our goal is to minister the word to you so that it edifies and builds you up. But part of our assignment and what we're headed towards is this place till we all come to the unity of the faith, right, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect, fully grown, and developed man. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Think about that. The measure of the stature. We've been talking about children, right? I bet some of you watching right now, you might have a place in your home where you have marked on a wall or on a door frame how your children have grown. And year after year, you've got marks that indicate they were this small and then they grew. And this year they were this tall and they grew and they grew. What are you doing? You're measuring the stature of their growth and the stature that they've come to. Measuring the stature of the body. He's talking about the body to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen, verse 14, that we should no longer be children. This is about our growth. This is about our maturing, that we should no longer be children. It's time to be done. Being childish, it's time to be done with childish ways of speaking and childish ways of understanding and childish ways of thinking. And if you want to know what those are, go back to 1 Corinthians 13. Envy is a childish thing. Being easily provoked is a childish way of speaking and thinking and understanding. Being rude or unmannerly this is a childish thing. Okay when you're little, not okay now. Somebody say it, it's not okay. It's time to grow up. He said that we should no longer be children, and here's one of the indicators of being childish. Tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. This is one of the things that is descriptive of a child in the way they understand all over the place. Children are easily fooled. They, they, they are uh, they're, they're quick to believe whatever's told. They believe in myths or stories or, or whatever. And they, they, they hear it and they say, oh, that must be true. They just believe really easily things that aren't true. And you know what? It's fine when your child is called make believe and it's the imagination and so on and so on. But there comes a time, right? I mean, at some point in your life, you have to decide what you believe about Santa Claus. You have to decide what you believe about the tooth fairy. You have to decide about what you believe about the Easter bunny, right? And so hopefully there's some things that you grow out of. Yes, but there are other things that as you grow, you must put away. And if you don't put these childish mentalities away, they hang around. And part of or I should say it like this, one of the characteristics of our growth is that we are not easily fooled. We're not easily duped and we're not carried about with every wind of doctrine. It's it's a childish thing to be talked in and out of all the time what you believe. It's a sign of maturity that you're no longer carried about with every wind of doctrine. You know what the word says. You believe what the word says and I'm not moved from what the word says. We should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Verse 15, but speaking the truth, there's a sign of maturity, right? You put away childish speaking and mature speaking is speaking the truth in truth. Love. This is the key to our growth. The love of God at work in us. Speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, Christ, talking about Jesus. So think about the body and the growing of the body. And this is the picture that the Spirit of God used throughout the Word of God to illustrate the body of Christ. The body of Christ has a head, just like your body has a head, my body has a head, here it is. The body of Christ has a head. And who is the head of the body of Christ? It's Jesus. And what he's communicating here is that that head is perfect. It's fully grown, it's developed, it is is flawless. That is the head that is on this body. But Paul is saying the head is mature, so shouldn't the body be? I mean, think about it. It's kind of a creepy thought, right? A full-grown man's head on the body of a baby? I don't even like to think about that. It's just kind of weird. Kind of weird to think about. And sadly, that's an accurate description for much of the body of Christ. The head of this body is full-grown. It's time for the body. It's time for the arms and the legs of this body and the feet and the hands of this body to grow and develop and come to the fullness of the stature of the measure of the head, the Christ, Jesus Christ, the head of this body, the head of this church. He said, from whom, or again, verse 15, speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth. When you and I are in our place in the body, doing what we've been assigned to do in the body, walking in the love of God, serving the body, then the body's growing. And that causes growth it causes the growth of the body for the edifying or the building up. What are we talking about here? (laughs) Bodybuilding, right? Now you're looking at me going, what do you know about bodybuilding? Well, besides all that, what the scripture is talking about is the building of the body of Christ. And when you and I are walking in the love of God, doing our part, fulfilling our role in this body, it causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself or the building up of itself, look at that, of itself in love. The love of God at work in you, at work in me, at work and on display in this house, at work and on display in your house, causes growth. It causes the increase of the body. You want to know what I believe is one of the big keys to the growth of Legacy Church, the love of God. His love at work in us as we teach and as we preach and as we minister, but more than that, his love at work in these chairs, his, his love at work when you come to church and you greet one another and there's love in you and how can I serve you and you're not seeking your own and you're not easily provoked in the parking lot and you're not rude and unmannerly and you're not envious, why? Because that's not patient, that's not kind. But when patience and kindness are on full display, That's the love of God. That's the tangible love of God at work in the body. And it will cause us to grow. Skip ahead to the last part of this chapter, verse 31. He says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away. Put those childish things away. There are some things you grow out of, thank God. But there are other things that if you don't put them away, they'll stay in your life too long and you'll be well into adulthood, talking like a child, understanding like a child, processing, thinking like a child. And that's why he uses this same word here. Put these things away. Bitterness, put it away. Why? It doesn't fit you anymore. It doesn't look good on you anymore. Put it away, you've outgrown that, put it away. Put away wrath, put away anger and clamor. That's that arguing and that argumentative spirit. Man, put that away. Husband's wife, put it away. It doesn't fit you anymore, you're born again. Children of the Most High God, your spirits are alive unto Him, and the love of God has been, has been shed abroad in your heart by the Holy Ghost. And all that argumentative nature, and that anger, and that clamor, and that fighting, it doesn't look good on you anymore. It's not the love of God, it's not patient, it's not kind, and it's childish. Become a man, become a woman. Let's put these things away. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. He said, put away evil speaking. Let it all be put away from you with all malice. And instead, verse 32, what's he say to do? Be kind. That's the love of God. Kindness is the part of the love of God that you can actually see. Kindness is love on display. And there's so many scriptures that show that to us here in the book of Ephesians and in other places. But he talked to us in, in the second chapter of the book of Ephesians. He said in verse seven that in the ages to come, he might show, in other words, that you can see it. He's gonna show it to you. He would show the exceeding riches of his grace. How's he gonna do it? In his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Kindness is the part of the love of God that you can see. And you can say, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. But until that love is on display, it's just words. And how is love put on display? In kindness, in patience. He said in verse 32, chapter 4, be kind to one another, tender hearted. Well, what is tender hearted? It's the opposite of hard hearted. If you've got a place in the body that's tender, maybe from a workout or it's been bruised. If it's tender, you touch it, you just barely touch it. Ooh, I feel that, gosh. Right on the other hand, if you got something that's hard and calloused, that's unfeeling and unresponsive. If there's a tender place, it's easily touched and you respond quickly because of its tenderness. And he said, that should be the condition of your heart. Tender, hearted, easily touched, not calloused, not hard. A tender heart is uh, quick to respond. A hard heart is slow to respond. A hard heart is slow to believe. But a tender heart is quick to believe God and believe his word. A hard heart is slow to repent. Have you noticed that? A hard heart is very slow to repent, but a tender heart, a soft heart is very quick to repent. They do something or say something wrong or that's not love and kindness. And right there on the spot, they say, you know what? Forgive me. I'm sorry. That wasn't the way I should have said that. That was, I I should not have spoken to you that way or that wasn't the right thing to say, or that wasn't the right way to say it, and you don't let days and weeks go by before you finally say, okay, fine, sorry, whatever. That's not love. Tender-heartedness is quick to see. Nope, that wasn't right. It wasn't love. Forgive me. Tender-heartedness is quick to repent. Hard-heartedness is slow to forgive. But on the other hand, tender heartedness is quick to forgive. A tender hearted person is quick to respond. They're quick to believe. They're quick to repent. And they are quick to forgive. Thank you, Lord. That's the nature of our father. Quick to forgive. When the prodigal son came home and his father saw him a long way off, the Bible says he ran to him and he fell on him and he kissed him. Now that's, I guess that father could have stood at home with his arms crossed, watching his son get closer and closer and closer. And I guess he could have stood there defiant, angry for what his son had done. But the moment he saw his son draw near to him, what did he do? What'd the father do? He drew near to his son. He came running. What's that mean? He's quick, quick. The son came home and he said, Father, I'm sorry for what I did. I've wasted everything. He had this whole speech prepared, but daddy didn't even let him finish the speech. He said, bring out the best robe and put it on him. But if you look at the cross reference there in the original text of that scripture, it's it's powerful. You know what he said? He didn't just say, bring out the robe. He said, quick, bring out the robe. Do it now, do it in a hurry. Now, whose robe is the best robe in that house? That's daddy's robe. That's the father's robe. That's the robe of righteousness. God's own righteousness. The righteousness that we are in and through Jesus Christ. You know what the father says? When you are quick to repent, he says, quick, get the robe on him. Now that son came home and you know he'd been feeding pigs. He stunk. He was filthy. Oh, don't you know it was gross. And that father could have said, well, you go get cleaned up and then we'll see about putting a clean robe on you. But that's not what he said, huh? He said, quick, go get the robe. Why? Because the robe will deal with the stink. The robe will cover all the filth. The robe can take care of it. The robe's able to handle all that. You don't even got to go get yourself cleaned up first. That robe of righteousness that he was so quick to put on you the moment you repented, the moment you asked for that forgiveness, he was quick to give it to you. And that's the blood of Jesus and the power of the blood of Jesus to wipe away and wash away every sin and to do it now, to do it quick. You don't even have to get yourself cleaned up. The blood of Jesus gets you cleaned up. I am clothed in this robe of righteousness and it's his robe that has cleaned me. It's his robe that has saved me. And he, you know what he said? Quick, go put it on him. That's tenderheartedness. That's tender heartedness be kind to one another be tender hearted towards one another forgiving quick to forgive one another even as god in christ forgave or was quick to forgive you no matter what anybody's done to you no matter what kind of debt they owe you and that's what sin is it's debt and if somebody's done you wrong i get it they owe you somebody sinned against you lied or cheated you out of something or cheated on you, defrauded you in some way. Yeah, I get it. They owe you, right? But no matter what anybody's done to you, and no matter what size the debt they owe you, that debt pales in comparison to the debt we owed God. But instead of charging us with that debt and making us pay, what did He do? He paid the debt and He forgave the debt. And Peter said to Jesus, how many times should I forgive when my brother's done me wrong? Seven? And Jesus said, no, 70 times seven. And he told him a parable about a master who had a servant who owed him this overwhelming, insurmountable debt. And he he got him and he said, you owe me this debt. And he said, I can't pay it. And he said, well, you're, you're, you're going to Uh, We'll have to uh, put you in prison and, and take his wife and his children till the debt are paid. And he said, be patient with me. I'll pay you all. I'll pay you everything I owe you. And Jesus said that that master was filled with compassion. Notice what he did. He forgave the debt and he freed him. Now, that's not what that guy asked for. That guy said, be patient with me and I'll pay everything I owe. And then the compassion of the Lord rose up on the inside, knowing there's no way this guy could ever repay what was owed. But instead of, instead of making him pay it, he forgave the whole thing. But you remember what happened, right? That guy who'd been forgiven that huge debt went out, found somebody who owed him 20 bucks. Jesus said he grabbed him by the throat and said, you pay me, and the guy said, I can't pay you. Be patient with me though, I'll pay you everything. But instead of forgiving him, he threw him into prison till that dude could pay him the 20 bucks that he owed. And when the other servants found out about it, they took word back to the master. And that master who had just forgiven that whole debt said, why didn't you forgive? I forgave you this huge debt. Why couldn't you forgive this little debt? And you know what he did? He reinstated the debt and he threw him into prison until he could pay the whole thing. Now that's serious enough on its own, but Jesus didn't stop there. He said, so my heavenly father will do to you if you don't forgive each other. Now, isn't that serious? To think that that flow of forgiveness, that constant flow of forgiveness that's coming from the heart and the throne of God gets shut off and stopped and all that righteousness, restoring power, gets stopped. How? Why? When? When you forget, uh, refuse to forgive somebody who owes you this little thing compared to that huge debt you owed God. Come on, let's be quick to forgive each other. You need no other reason to forgive, other than being mindful of what's been forgiven you. Let's be quick to forgive. Chapter 5, verse 1 Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and gave himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. You know, you've heard us talk about it here that what we want at Legacy Church is an atmosphere full of faith in Jesus and love. For each other. That's what we want in this house. That's what we want in your house. An atmosphere full of faith and love. And that's what that verse is talking about. The love of God at work in the house rises up before God like a sweet smelling aroma. It fills the atmosphere of heaven. The atmosphere of heaven, you could smell it. If you were there, you could smell it. And you'd say, What is that amazing smell? And God would tell you, That's love. That's love you're sensing. That's love you're smelling. And that's what I want on full display in this house. That's what you should want happening in your house all the time. An atmosphere full of faith and love. But well, it's time to grow up. And what is the key to our growth? The love of God. Spiritually mature people are people who walk in a high level of the love of God. And I know right now it's being tested more than it ever has been perhaps in, in our lives with what's going on around us. And, and I know people are freaking out and they're scared and that fear turns into this agitating spirit and it's like everywhere you go, somebody's just ready for a fight. They're ready to fight you about your mask and your mask isn't high enough and they're ready to fight you about this and fight you about that. But the love of God is not easily provoked. The love of God is patient. The love of God is kind. Don't be dragged into a fight. You take a step back from that ledge and you let the love of God go to work in you. I'm saying it today in Jesus' name. Legacy Church is a place where the love of God is on display in our kindness and in our patience with each other. Amen. Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for your word. We receive it today in Ask you, Lord, to cause your word to to go down deep and take root on the inside of us and spring up and bear fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control and gentleness and everything that's good in you. May it be good in us in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Well, church, we love you today. We miss you. Uh, Thank you for your patience with us and allowing us to make some changes. Again, all of it is because we love you. We want you safe. We want your kids safe. And believe in God, we'll be able to get together again next week. We love you so much. God is good. He is kind. He is love. And we're believing with you all this week long that you are gonna be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people in Jesus' name. We love you and we'll see you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you and remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.